Great Duck Sports episode five. Uh, a lot happening, as always. There's always a lot happening. It's fall. We're full swing in football. We got Wild starting up, Wolves starting up. We're going to talk a little wild today. Got Seth DePaul on the show from the Locked On Wild podcast. He's also not just a wild podcaster daily, daily wild podcaster, twice daily wild podcaster this week leading up to the season. So he's putting in a ton of work couple hours a day worth of pods and he still took 30 minutes to uh to join great duck um he's been a been pretty much a day one since back in 2018 supporter of great duck sports if i can call anyone a supporter of great duck sports seth definitely is one so it's good to have him back um like i said not only a daily wild podcaster also a self-proclaimed viking shit poster so we actually start with the vikings talk a little football and then we get into the wild look at them a lot in the context of the central division how they stack up against the middle of that division in St. Louis, Dallas, Chicago, Winnipeg, um, even Nashville teams like that. Then we look inward more at the, the opening day roster, what's impressed Seth, what, what's concerning him going into the season and just what he makes of the entire wild year. So we do about 30 minutes with him. Um, and then after that new segment, only segment ever so far on the show, gray duck after dark, which is, uh, just a, what I attach at the end of the pod going to be five, six minutes on two, three things that I've just been thinking about. And, uh, the main, the main thesis stewing around in, in gray duck after dark this week is the NHL returning to ESPN, making its debut on TNT and Turner sports. Both of those products are terrific, which, like I said, I will get into, and then also Kirk Ferentz, Iowa head coach, he's smelling rats all over Penn State. And I'm going to get to just how ridiculous that is because Kirk Ferentz can be a little ridiculous about these things um, sometimes. And so we'll get into that. I'm not being critical of Kirk Ferentz as a whole as a coach, which some people are sometimes, but I'm not going to do that. His football team is very good. But this, this thing with Penn State, it was just so – so annoying. So we'll get into all of that. But first, we have Nebraska-Minnesota. It's an important game for me because I went to Nebraska. I'm from Minnesota. I love P.J. Fleck. I hate Scott Frost. I'm a Nebraska fan. First, Minnesota, I'd say supporter. Second, I can't, I can't claim to give myself the gopher fan title. So when the $5 Bits of Broken Chair trophy comes in, when, when that's on the line, you know you got to throw out the records. You got to throw out the Minnesota's three and two, Nebraska's three and four this year. Um, but also you got to throw out the records when these teams play in general, because I alluded to this on Tuesday, they have come into a lot of games over the last four years, pretty close every game, except for 2019, they've been pretty close statistically and record wise. And this game has never, has never really been close. So the only time it was close last year was when Minnesota came in with 35 guys and still beat Nebraska 24-17. So I'm not even calling that close because that was obviously a huge win for a COVID-ravaged Gopher team in a game they shouldn't have probably even been playing. The backups all over the field. So all that to be said, the last the last four times these two have met, the first one, this game really sticks out in my mind, 2017, 54-21. Neither team was very good, and Minnesota just absolutely blasted Nebraska. They ran for something like 350 yards. That's kind of a theme in some of these games because they absolutely blast them. And if you can name me the two quarterbacks in that game, I'll, I'll reveal it after the interview with Seth. If you can name me the two guys that played quarterback for each team who started at quarterback in that game, you deserve the uh, Big Ten trophy badge because it was uh, quite the quarterback matchup of two guys who are very forgettable. But then the next year, 
Nebraska wins 53-28. So Nebraska gets their revenge, blasts Minnesota. Year after that, 2019. Obviously, that's the year the Minnesota goes to the Outback Bowl, 11-2, and the whole thing. They're terrific. Um, I, I remember feeling pretty good about Nebraska that year, and that was – that was, oh man, that was a, a manhandling by the Gopher defense of Nebraska. All that, to, all that to say that some teams have teams they play every year that no matter what, it's close. When Minnesota and Nebraska get together in Big Ten West games, it is not close. And because of the stark differences in these teams, it really does jump off the page. Even though Nebraska has a worse record, they're going to be a four-point favorite on the road against the Gophers. I still think that spread is too low. I think Nebraska wins by two, three, four touchdowns. And that's for, I was going to say two reasons, but that is for the reasons that you play football. The offense is better. The defense is better. Minnesota has, they're not out of their third running back. Obviously no Ibrahim, no pots hospitalized last week. Um, So they're going to be relying on Bucky a ton and their offense is really just run first, run second, pass third. Uh, it's not very exciting. It's not very creative. It's not very dynamic. I have been proven wrong about Tanner Morgan. I used to stout his historic, his top 25 all-time YPA season. That's yards per attempt for the folks at home. Used to always talk about his YPA season in 2019. That was obviously uh, Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson driven, not Tanner Morgan driven. Tanner Morgan has thrown less than any other starter in the Big Ten this year. The Gophers don't really trust him on offense, it would seem, which is weird because he's much older and much more mature than he was when he first got the job. Obviously, he's had it for a while. And then on the opposite side of the ball, for the first time in a long time, Nebraska is incredibly creative. They use a ton of misdirection. They use a ton of option. A lot of times their offense resembles a triple option offense out of the spread. And they're going to put the ball in Adrian Martinez's hands. And Adrian Martinez has 1,800 passing yards and close to 500 rushing yards this year. They're going to put the ball in Adrian Martinez's hands and they're going to let him make plays. They're willing to let their quarterback make plays like it always seems to with Nebraska. It took them four or five games to figure out their running back situation. But with uh, Johnson and Yant, They're set at running back. They run for 225 yards a pop. And that's against offenses that are much better than what Minnesota's played. They've out or against defenses that are much better than what Minnesota's played. They outgained Minnesota this year by about 150, 160 yards. And again, this is a Nebraska team that has already played all three of these teams close. And again, maybe close games don't matter because I just did the whole thing about how every game's close in the NFL. That's not true in college. There's obviously plenty of blowouts in college football. You see it happen all the time. Both of these teams who are not that great, Nebraska and Minnesota, have both blown somebody out. Minnesota beat Colorado 30-0. Nebraska beat Northwestern 56-7. So it certainly happens in college football. And I think Nebraska, through their creativity, through their offensive weapons, through their new and improved offensive line, they are much more equipped to do that because they're gaining 460 yards a game. Minnesota's gaining about 300 yards a game. And Nebraska has done it against Michigan State, Michigan, Oklahoma, teams like that, whereas Minnesota, they've played Ohio State and nobody else. So I think that matters a ton. Minnesota hasn't looked particularly good since Colorado in those last two weeks, obviously lost to Bowling Green, lost to Purdue. But I just think that it comes down to this year, Minnesota has had the better athletes, especially in 2019. They had the better athletes. I think this year, the shoe's on the other foot. Nebraska has the better athletes. And I think it's going to show. I think they're going to. I think they're going to. I think they're going to. They're going to boat race them. Um, I didn't even realize I used boat race. Row the boat there. But I think Nebraska wins by three, four, five touchdowns. I think I'm biased. If you want the actual score, I'll say 42-17. If I had to, if I had to actually pick one, 
just Minnesota's offense is the opposite of dynamic. Nebraska's offense is very dynamic. And I think that Minnesota people from Minnesota gopher fans are going to be surprised when Nebraska's offense takes the field. And even when their defense takes the field a little bit and they find out just how many great, great athletes are all over the field. And I think that's what this one comes down to is just Nebraska having better athletes. So I think the $5 bits of broken chair trophy, the legendary trophy, shout out Faux Point. I wrote a whole piece about it on the original Grey Duck one time that got retweeted by the $5 bits of bear broken chair trophy. Twitter account I was very proud of that. I think the trophy is hilarious. I think they like kind of brought it back a little bit. I know it's, I've seen rumblings of people still mention it. I'm glad we still mention it. And I think Nebraska wins that one by a ton. So that's the college game. Coming up next, you're going to get 10 minutes in the pro game. Because we've got Seth Topal on. We go right into Vikings because he doesn't get to talk Vikings a ton. And then we go into Minnesota Wild, which he talks all the time. So with that, Seth Topal of the Locked On Wild podcast. All righty, Seth Topal joins us, Locked On Wild podcast. He's doing uh, in the midst of his two-a-days, two shows a week right now. He is made time to join us with what will be the season opener today when this is released. Uh, Seth, I actually, before we get into any wild, I actually want to start with Vikings because you've been so hard, so much wild lately. So I'm going to zag on you and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you about the Vikings first. I'm going to start with my Vikings take that I opened the last podcast with of it's hard to be after everything that happened in that game. It's hard to be too upset with, everything coming together and winning a football game because it's hard to win a football game in the NFL, even if it is against Lions. So we're choosing optimistic route there. And also the thought of week to week, things change so much in the NFL matchup wise that this really doesn't matter. And that like people act like people act like a close loss and a close win in the NFL are the same thing. And they're just not like, they're not at all like a completely, completely different thing. So when I say that all that to say, I think they beat the Panthers. I don't think the world's on fire or anything with Vikings. Where do you land on all that? Um, it has been a journey, and that is a very interesting way to start what I am, uh, am about to say because um, defensively, it seems like this team has been – they were okay against Detroit, I thought. Uh, they have been not good for most of the season so far. Um. I, I just, I don't know what to think of this team still. Like, it's just such a Vikings thing that the team gets a really, really good kicking performance, which is something I can maybe have said twice in my life. A really good kicking performance. And the only thing that people fixate on is that that chest bump that weird like grab between Zimmer oh who and cares I, I like i don't give a shit like i don't like I, we i don't need to be a body language expert who cares i want to watch a football game and, you, and even if they do dislike each other i don't really give a shit just because yeah. in all honesty they're a quarterback and a defensive minded coach they don't even talk that much like they really day to day they don't have to talk to each other really ever if they don't want but to it's so. like it, it's so Vikings that that is the thing that people fixate on instead of, Hey, our kicker blasted a game winning kick and kickers are are like poison in Minnesota. Um, This team just 
I don't know. It seems like they are just fighting themselves every week. And some weeks the defense is just, they, they can't, they can't stop anybody, whether it be via the run or the pass. And then you have games like against Cleveland where they put one good drive together and everything just goes into a complete shell. I, I just, I don't know if they put it together. Like if they put together all of the things that they are capable of doing, they're a good football team, but that just seems to be super impossible for this team. And so at that point, 17 week season, I just view this as a perpetual, like can't quite put it together eight and nine type of team because you can't like, let's, let's just hypothetically say that this team goes on a little bit of a run and they get, they beat the Panthers. They come away with a couple surprise wins in the post by like nightmare that they, that they have on the schedule. We still have not gotten to the yearly Kirk cousins forgets how to play quarterback game. And this year, I don't think they can afford to have that type of performance. We're talking like the Buffalo Bills game where he had three picks, the Indianapolis Colts game where he had three picks and was like 11 of 40. Um, Those type of just crazy performances that just like mothball the entire game. We haven't had one of those yet. And they have given up so much ground already because the defense just was terrible to start the year that – I think whenever that ends up happening, inevitably, that's going to be the one that knocks them out of the playoffs. It's, it's a fun team when they play well, but it is just mind-numbingly frustrating when they struggle, and it seems like they struggle more often than they play well. That's, that's kind of where I'm at with them right now. You, uh, your last sentence really nailed it there because what I was going to say next is it's – I'm glad you also said eight and nine because – it's possible that they're just like slightly above average with a difficult schedule. And that's, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, you can look at it like eight and nine, like you said, with the schedule, that's probably what ends up being. And then you're like, you know what, if they played in a, if they had different crossover games, then maybe they'd be 10 and seven, who knows? And some weeks you'll play like the 20th best team in the NFL. Some weeks play the 10th best team in the NFL. And that's just fine. That's where it go. Let chips fall where you may. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. I, I said the same thing last week. If you're Kirk Cousins, you're what? 12th, 11th, 13th best quarterback in the NFL. That means week to week, some days you're going to play like the 20th best quarterback in the NFL. Some days you're going to play like the seventh best quarterback in the NFL. And that's just the way it is sometimes. Any other Vikings thoughts? You gave me a lot there. Any other Vikings thoughts you're dying to get out before we get into the wild? Any you know, I had, a, I had a thought that I have tried to float out to people just to try to make like the expectations of this team a little easier to stomach. So many people still are hung up on the fact of like, this is a Mike Zimmer led defense. They got so many good players. We should be a top 10 defense should be elite on defense. I'm here to tell you, you have to stop thinking that way. We need to stop with the, this is a top 10 defense in the NFL. If they can be middle of the pack and the offense can be top half, like 10th or somewhere in that area if we shift from this is a defense oriented team that makes a ton of stops and the offense just has to get us this we'll win a bunch of games to let's let let's unleash the offense let's let them do their thing and if the defense can get a couple of stops in the second half mission accomplished if people flip it and think about this that way 
I think it's going to make this a lot easier to stomach as opposed to just every time the opposing offense scores being like, there we go again. Mike Zimmer's defense just, they, they failed. Like, stop looking at this as a defensive team. This is an offensive team with a defense that's capable of making adjustments. I'm kind of a proponent of that throughout the NFL that you should be more focused on. Like if you have a top six, seven offense, and then you just hope and pray that your defense is even top two thirds, like you have the 20th best defense and the fourth best offense in the NFL, you're going to win more football games than you're going to lose. And that's how at this point, especially with the the way the rules are set up, I'm not the first person to ever point this out. Like it's not rocket science that that's just how you need to build a team. And then, like you said, that is kind of, at least the Vikings, they may not be built entirely that way. If you look at like offensive defense talent split, like, I don't know if you want to rank all 22 starters on each side, how it comes out, but they at least are rigged up offensively that if you want to try to play that style of football as a team, you are perfectly capable. And there are teams around the league who do it. And there's teams who are doing it very well. I mean, Cowboys, Bucks, great example of teams like like their defenses just got a wee bit better. They forced a few more turnovers and it's all, it's all gravy. Now you're four and one. And that could easily be the Vikings, honestly, if, if a couple of things go their way. I, I really, really am going to tell people to not go down that road because that just leads to eternal. Like if the Viking, if Dalvin cook didn't fumble, if Greg Joseph makes the kick, if like you just, you, you never stop doing that. That's also just the NFL. Like it's, 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 it's so close. So razor thin that like, it's one, two plays in a lot of games. And I think every team, every person just watches their team. So they're like, oh, this happened to my team. We barely lost this way. Oh, this could have gone our way. Oh, this one call. And every single fan of every single team, there's like four or five, six games that you look back on that end up swinging the season that you're like, this call, this call, this call. And it yeah. happens and I, It happens to every team every year. And again, everyone just watches their team religiously. So that's all they care about. We'll move on to the wild now. That's enough. That's enough Vikings. But that was. I'm glad we could get that out right away. We gave you a break from your, from your wild talk. And I, uh, I want to start with the wild in the context of where they stand in the Central Division because I think that's very important in the NHL because that's obviously how the playoffs work. And I really like that the NHL does that. I like that winning your division matters. I like that it's very like kind of college football conferency. So yep. I like to. So we'll we'll focus on that first. Um, that all that being said. Right now, wild plus 650, second best odds to win the division. Where do you think they have the edge on those middle-of-the-road teams in the division with them, the the Winnipeg, St. Louis, Dallas, Chicago group? So this is fascinating because I actually did a look at this this week on uh, Unlocked on Wild, so I'm I'm well-versed in this exact question. I know. Um, the Wild have the second best, according to – um, the metrics that I used uh, from uh, Mr. J Fresh on Twitter, um, the Wild have the second best offense in the Central Division uh, in terms of uh, wins above replacement for 2021-2022. Second best, Colorado is first. There is a wide gap after Minnesota and Colorado. You have the Blackhawks, you've got the Stars, you've got the Blues, you've got the Predators and you've got the Coyotes that are distantly behind. And so I think that is the difference for the Wilds. Uh, defensively, the Wild are fourth in the division, but they're within a couple of rankings 
of the uh, the cup, the teams in front of them. Um, Goaltending wise, the Wild are second to last, which is interesting because you figure Cam Talbot had a great year last year, um, but I'm sure some of that was Capo. So I I shook that one off. But offensively, this is a very dynamic scoring team that is capable of putting goals on the board very quickly. And they have comparable defense to some of those other teams that will be vying for the, I'm going to say, third spot in the division because I think the Wild will take second behind Colorado. Um, Dallas, Nashville, Chicago, Winnipeg, those teams all, the Wild have comparable levels of defense there. Um, Obviously, Talbot is not quite the caliber of, say, Marc-Andre Fleury or Connor Hellebuck or the ghost of Braden Holtby or Darcy Kemper. Um, he's he is though he Kemper is, got a lot of love last night on the broadcast. Yeah, a he, lot of love. He's going to have plenty of games like that because that Avalanche team is very good offensively, and so there are going to be a bunch of games where yeah, he gives up a couple, but the team scored five, so he'll he'll be fine. He'll be fine if he just does that. If he just does kind of the league average for them, he's going to be just fine. But I think offensively is where the Wild have the edge. Uh, Fiala, Kaprizov, Jewel Eriksson-Eck, Nico Sturm, um, all of those guys can provide a dynamic scoring edge for this team. And so if they are going to really fight it out and take that second spot in the division, it's going to be by scoring goals. Defense will be fine. Goaltending, I think, will be fine. But, um, yeah, this, is, this offense is going to pace this team all year. Uh, on the flip side, where do you think some of those other teams might have the edge on the wild? If they don't finish second, how would that happen and who would do it? I think it's going to be the goaltending. I mean, Talbot had Talbot and Kakinen both had great years last year, but uh, we do have to keep in mind that uh, Cam Talbot has been a little uneven over the last couple of seasons before last year. He's also dealt with injuries. And so there is a potential, there's potential for him to have a little bit of a, a leveling out um, this season. And so maybe he doesn't have as sharp of numbers as he did uh, for the Wild last year. There's also a chance that Capo Kakinen's numbers against St. Louis, which were horribly bad, um, and his numbers against the Avalanche were not great. There's also a chance that those numbers are legit and that he was just beating up on bad teams in the West last year. And so if that's the case, then those two – could struggle in which that would put a lot of pressure on the offense. And, you know, flurry is flurry. Hellebuck is Hellebuck. Those guys are going to be just fine all year. So I would say if they get that like elite level goaltending, that's going to keep Chicago and in Winnipeg close to, uh, to where the wild are at. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to try to base a lot off of one game, but flurry didn't look particularly good. Uh, against the uh, the Avalanche early on. So I'm just going to go ahead and project that he doesn't have exactly all of the juice that he had with the uh, the Golden Knights last year. Hot take. So quickly, if you had to give me your top five goalies in the division in order. I'm going to go – I think I'll go Hellebuck, Flurry. Um, then I would tend to go – Oh boy. And I know his name and I just, for whatever reason, can't think of it. Why do I want to say, 
I, I got to put Juicy Saros up there um, for Nashville. So I'll put him third. Um, I will put Darcy Kemper fourth. I'll put Cam Talbot fifth. And I don't, I don't think it's by a large margin. But, um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you right now if I tried who is going to be starting for Arizona. I know they're going to be dead last. So I'll say Talbot is fifth. But if he starts off hot, that is subject to change. Uh, yeah, I think you'd get a lot of variance in that kind of three through five through six, but it wouldn't really yeah. matter a ton when it came down to it because they're all, I mean, not pretty much the same, but within, I mean, we're talking one, two percent save percentage here. Yeah, it's it's a very interchangeable list, and it just, you know, it just depends on kind of how how things go in front of them. What I will say, though, is I do really like the defense in front of Talbot with the exception of the third line. Um just super unproven, but I, I like the defense in front of Talbot for the most part. So I, I think he's going to have another solid year. When you look at it, how many playoff teams do you see from the central? So that's a good question. Honestly, I think I, I'm going to say five. I think both wild cards come from the central. I just don't see anybody from the Pacific other than the teams that have to make it to get to the eight. I think that's it. And so I, I, I've said this many times too. Let's say the wild do struggle and they finish fifth in the division. I think they still make the playoffs because the Pacific is Pacific is going to be bad this year. Very bad. Yeah. uh, My take is, Here's, here's my central division hot-ish take. It's that the Stars finish above the Wild. Stars finish second. Bounce back here. Ruby Hints, analytics king. You Star voted Way. for Robertson for the Calder too, didn't you? <laughs> if I had a vote, I didn't. But, you know, who okay. – I'll allow who, it. Who, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you've had your fair share of Kaprizov gruff. So, uh, same, same kind of deal. But I just, I just want to say, who – impacts winning more it might be robertson yeah i i just i i just go with the times at when kaprizov scored his goals down the stretch that was the tiebreaker for me oh yeah you can, like yeah he had the he had the game tying goal against vegas in that game the wild won in regulation when they were down by two um which was a vital win for the wild he had i think the game tying goal against st louis the next night um I, yeah, a lot of it, you know, there is a fair argument to be made that a lot of his stats came against the bottom four in the West, but he still had plenty of important goals too. And so it it was close. It was certainly close, but I, I still give the edge to uh, Kaprizov. Yeah. And he's probably more fun too. So he is can, yeah, he can infinitely more fun. So um, we'll go, we'll go on to the wild kind of more as a team, just looking inward here, this, this opening day roster, no Marco Rossi, no Adam Beckman. What's up with that? Okay. I got to preface this because I am, what I'm about to say is going to make me f- sound like I'm defending the team. I'm just trying to logically explain why the reason is that Iowa gives the best chance right now for top level minutes for Rossi and for Adam Beckman. Um, And so those guys are going to play every night, slot him in the top line. When Matt Boldy comes back from injury, slot him in there too. I personally think 
that at least one member of the Iowa Wild will be up by the time Matt Boldy returns from injury. So whether that be betting favorite, I think, is Kalen Addison based off of who is playing directly in front of him. Um, But the other part of this, too, is that it would be super nice for the Wild to be able to take Beckman, Rossi, and Boldy and have those guys' contracts kick in next year so that they can guide the Wild through the worst of those buyout years. Um, And, again, that is exactly what a lot of people would just assume that the, you know, well, you you cover the team, so that's what they want you to say. It's Honestly, that's just what makes the most sense right now is you're not going to have Adam Beckman play on the fourth line and get, like, eight to 10 minutes a game that that does him no good whatsoever. So give him an opportunity to pair up with Rossi at Iowa, play top level minutes every night, just light up the scoreboard. And before too long, those guys will all be on their own line or two of them will be on the line with Kevin Fiala at some point, either later this year or for sure next year. Um, yeah, but they're, they are knocking hard on the door to uh, to make it up to the top level through the preseason what impressed you the most about the wild honestly adam beckman i, I liked what he brought well you can't send him to iowa then <laughs> i know that's you why can't i do don't. all that and say that's what impressed you the most that's uh that's what i that's why i don't have the keys to make the decisions um that's why you're just it, a daily podcast guy exactly in addition to beckman though uh the top line was electric uh kaprizov erickson and matt zuccarello uh, Zuccarello finished the preseason with seven assists. Erickson Eck looks like he fits in just great with that line. And another benefit of that is that he's going to get a lot more minutes than he got with the uh, the Felino line because he, they're the top-level guys. And now with him bringing a defensive presence to that line, you don't have to swap Kaprizov and Zuccarello out in favor of a defensive presence. You've already got one on that line. So those guys looked great. The, uh, the power play looked good um, throughout the, uh, the course of the preseason. The other thing that I really liked, and I can't wait to see it in action, is the potential for a Jonas Brodeen, Jared Spurgeon, Jewel Eriksson penalty kill. Like, good luck scoring on that monstrosity. So I, I like that we're seeing areas that were weaknesses for this team addressed number one center is Jewel Erickson that has been addressed so we're going to see if that works power play has been changed up so we should have a better power play to start the year this year awesome great penalty kill was weak at the end of the year that has been shored up and that should help this team out as well so Bill Guerin had a lot of objectives in the offseason, he, he has checked a lot of boxes, and I think we're going to see um, – I think we're going to see some better play in those key areas. So you kind of answered this question already, but if you – or well, you mentioned this already, then answered this question already. If the Wild are going to finish second in the division, reach their full potential as a team, what has to happen for the best-case scenario result of the season? And what is that best-case scenario result this season for them? Best case scenario is, I think, second in the division and getting to the 
would that be the second round or third round to play the avalanche in the playoffs? That would be the best case scenario for this team this year. And in order for that to happen, you got to have Jewel Erickson Eck seamlessly glide into that top line. That line has to be dynamic. And with Jewel Erickson Eck, I think they will be. The third line, which at this point is just a mess of like assorted parts and Kevin Fiala, like they got to get something out of those guys too. And the fourth line, you got to have, you know, Brandon Duhame state his claim to that spot. And, you know, he can play with Nico Sturm and Nick Bugstad. So if those guys get going, if that third line, this, this is as low of a bar as I'm setting for the third line defense. Uh, one of the great things I think about Ian Cole and Carson Soucy last year is that so much of what they did flew under the radar. It felt like anytime you get a good offensive line, you don't hear their name like at all, and that's great. If we can get either John Merrill or Jordy Ben and uh, Dmitry Kulikov, if those guys can just do their job to the point where we don't hear them a lot, that is also going to help because if they if you hear their name and it's oh another turnover by Kulikov or here comes a two-on-one with uh, Jordy Ben with a bad pass at the top of the zone. If we hear a bunch of that this year, th- that's gonna be that's gonna be trouble. And if we can get through the season not needing to go past uh, Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen, and they can play at a level that they played at last year, if Capo can show that some of the numbers that he had last year against the playoff contenders were fluky or were just kind of a mirage also going to help. And if they put all this together and if they get somebody to, uh, to step up and have a season that they're not expecting, my money's on Nico Stern because he's probably my favorite player on this team. If they get a season that they're not expecting from somebody and they get continued upward progression from Kaprizov, Erickson Eck, and all the other guys you'd like to see take a step up, Kevin Fiala, names like that. If they do all of that, they're going to be a massive problem and uh, they're going to give Colorado a run for their money uh, in that inevitable playoff series. What's a uh, trend you're dying to see play out or a take that you're dying to let out right now? I, so this is, I can't wait to keep track of because I am just a masochist in like Minnesota sports pain. I heard so many times during the broadcast last year of like, the wild are losing two nothing despite out shooting out hitting blah and winning more faceoffs. I'm actually going to chart that this year. Love it. Cause again, I am just a gluttony for punishment and I am going to see how many outstatted wins the wild pick up this year um, or outstatted losses. So that's something I can't wait for. And obviously it's a great I, answer to this question, by the way. Yeah. Like I, I, that might be the thing that I'm most excited for this year because it was such a big deal last year. Like the wild were out one in the faceoff circle, like 65, 35 or outshot 50 to 20 or out hit, you know, they still won a lot of games doing that. And so we'll, we'll see if that trend continues because if they rack up a bunch of those, you got to get to the bottom of it then. Uh, you're doing two pods a week. Plug locked on wild one more time before I let you go. 
I will do you one better. We're doing every Monday through Friday now that the season has begun. And so we got the oh, I daily pot today. Sorry for this yeah, last that... week. There we go. Yeah, I got my signals crossed. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. We're doing two a days this week just because, you know, as a pod athlete myself, uh a po- could you could you call it a podcast elite? No. No. Pod- no, that 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 sounds gross. Um but all the NHL players getting themselves into shape for the season. So I thought, you know, why not? I'll try to do, I'll try to do my part so that I am, I am in peak form once the season starts. So we've been doing two a day um, with the, it culminating, listening to this on Friday. I've got a nice deep dive into the, uh, the game against the Ducks and also a nice little crossover coming up uh, today as well with Locked on Twins in which we look at some of the reasons that the Twins had such an unsuccessful season this year and what the wild need to do to avoid falling into that same trap. So that is going to be fascinating. Uh, we're going to have pregame videos, po- live post games, as well as other stuff going on, uh, on our social media channels. It- it's going to be just under a nauseating level of content from lockdown wild this year. So all you got to do is type in lockdown wild in the, uh, in your Google search engine, uh, search bar. Wow. I just, oh man, I just dated myself way You're too You're nailing it until then though. I know. I was just There's a great in, tease. Just the Twins in, wild tease, that crossover, I was ready for it. That was, that was well done. You were killing it. It's compelling. It's compelling and rich. Um, just search Lockdown Wild everywhere. We're on any, any platform you listen to for podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, we've got content coming that is unique to all of those channels this year so follow them all because if there is a skate that is not tied properly for the wild this year we got you covered love it thank you uh, for joining me happy to do it man you to Seth Topal once again of Locked on Wild for that. The daily Minnesota Wild podcast, two a days, as we mentioned a little bit uh, for this week leading into the season. We we love and respect Seth. We're happy to uh, to have him moving forward because he's going to be on. He's going to be on plenty this season. He has committed himself to Grey Duck. He's been, like I said, day one Grey Duck guy. And through everything, he had already done at that point of recording that podcast. He had recorded eight podcasts of his own and done three or four guest spots. We're talking seven, eight, nine hours of, of live wild talk, and he still made time for Great at 2.0. So like I said, we really appreciate Seth on that, and he will be back throughout the season. Now on to Grey Duck After Dark. This is just me and my feelings for the last five, six minutes of the pod, and this is something I've been thinking about all week. Kirk Ferentz, his anger, his disdain for Penn State, for faking injuries, he said after the game, uh, first of all, if you, if you don't know, Iowa wins the game 23-20. Uh, Penn State's quarterback actually gets hurt, which is kind of ironic and all, all that. Sean Clifford goes down. I forgot the backup's name, Robinson maybe. But he comes in and he completes like seven passes for 35 yards. It's brutal. And Iowa then comes back. Iowa now controls its own destiny to win the Big Ten West, win the Big Ten, make the playoff. And that was all set up from that win at Penn State. Afterward, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa head coach, was not happy about seemingly Penn State players faking injuries. He said uh, it's only happened one other time in his career, and he smells a rat, 
And I think he said one more thing, but the smells of rat got a lot of headlines. Uh, James Franklin responded. And my response is one, why is Kirk Ferentz beating this drum so, so much? Is this new? Like just because Iowa is playing an offense from 1998 and it's working, don't get me wrong. So that was a shot, but it is working. I want to be, I want to be frank about that. I want everyone to be, everyone to know that I know that it is working, but this is what people have been doing to good offenses for the last 10 years in college football. I don't know how Kirk Ferentz can say he's, he's only seen this one other time, maybe again, because it's against his teams, but this happens all the time. And Kirk Ferentz is appalled and so holier than thou. I haven't, I haven't looked this up. I'm sure that there's some game against Ohio state from 2017 where an Iowa player goes down with a cramp five seconds before the ball is about to be snapped, where he just staggers for two steps and then gives a hand up to the sideline like, hey, come get me. We know the substitution rules aren't optimal. This is how teams get the right guys on their field on the field when offenses go fast. So for Kirk Ferentz, to, I mean, you can acknowledge it too. You can be pissed off about it after the game. But to take it all the way into next week and start this faux rivalry with Penn State, who, who neither of you are actually top five teams in the country, but to start this faux rivalry against the other fake top five team who is better than you, it's just so, it's just so annoying. It's just so, so annoying that Kirk Ferentz has been on this for so long that – that he talks about it in, in the way he does. Like I said, it just, it was just way, way, way too far to talk about smelling rats and you haven't seen this in, in 23 years and it's, and it's disturbing and blah, blah, blah. And you don't want your team exposed to it. This isn't some disease going on in college football. It's just what teams do. And guess what, Kirk, if an offense was going that fast against you and your offense wasn't even going that fast. So I'll put it this way. If you thought it gave your team an advantage, your defense would be doing the same thing. So it just bothered the hell out of me. It was so college football. I'm a staple of this game. Holier than thou thing to do. And it just really got under my skin that, in his biggest win at Iowa in a decade in a game that he shouldn't have won, that he was lucky to win. He decided to do what he thought was taking a stand against something that apparently he hasn't been paying attention to it happening all over college football. Now, if you want to get into better or worse that it's happening, I don't care what it does. Ask Oregon, ask Chip Kelly how he feels about it. Happened to him 50 times a week for three years. Ask Scott Frost at Oregon when he was the OC. It happens. So when teams start going fast, when Nebraska starts going a little fast against, against Iowa, maybe gets them on their heels for the first time in five years because Iowa owns Nebraska. I don't want to see any Iowa players go down. Those guys better be hydrated, Kirk. Otherwise, you're going to look like a real idiot come November, December when, when your team does this. Next thing, NHL on ESPN, NHL on TNT. It was fun. The NHL on ESPN broadcast. It was a lot of fun. TNT, same thing the next night. Liam McHugh and Steve Levy, two guys who, the guys who drive the ship on those shows, unless the other guys around them are terrific, never get enough credit. I saw Steve Levy and Liam McHugh getting some credit for how they drive that bus, especially Liam. I mean, he's got to somehow like work in Anson Carter 
who is an actual, who's probably the best analyst on there, the most experienced. Biz, who is a completely different animal, who you're trying to sharpen up for TV, and he's like Charles Barkley, but not as good and didn't have quite the career. And then Gretzky, who I love that they call him Gretz because no one's called Wayne Gretzky some anything other than Gretzky or the great one or his full name for 30 years. So they just go with Gretz on the broadcast. I kind of like that. It really softens him up. And it's like, oh, man, it's not the, not the great one, not the NHL's all-time leading scorer. It's Gretz. Gretz is in the building doing games. I thought both score bugs were good too. And then finally, the NHL on ESPN Music. I forgot the guy's name. I had his Bob Christensen, the guy who did the original NHL on ESPN Music. When they got him coming back there about what it meant, got the players listening to it. it reminds me, I was I was nine years old when they took that music off. But that still reminds me of hockey specifically. Reminds me of Chris Osgood and Dominic Hoshik. I don't know why that those are the two guys that jump into my mind when I hear the old NHL and ESPN music, but they play and he talks about what it means. Bob Christensen, again, if I'm butchering that name, I'm sorry, talks about the score, what it meant to him to write music that matches moments in sports. The NHL on ESPN music was perfect. And when he came in, he directed that full orchestra and he hit it again. We were back. And hockey needs to be on the worldwide leader. It doesn't need to be buried on NBC sports. I think this is great for hockey. I think it's great that Turner has the B package. And I think it's great. I've read stuff about ESPN and Turner. They are friendly competitors, but more so than anything, they just want more eyeballs on hockey. They want more eyeballs on the NHL because it's obviously very exciting. And having it on two more prominent networks, especially with what Turner does with basketball in the winter too, they can do anything remotely similar for hockey. I'm not even talking with the the intermission, trying to do it like halftime, but just to have a footprint on a non-broadcast channel and then ESPN like that. And then also mix in ESPN on ABC, which should be more prominent than those NBC games. There's also gonna be Sunday afternoon games on TNT. I think the package is great. I think it's well shared. And I think everyone on both sides seems to be genuinely excited. Whereas by the end with NBC, they were like, here's some hockey, fuck off. It's on USA and you're going to like it. And that was the way the NHL went for the last five, six years. So the NHL really turns a corner and say what you want about ESPN. I know hockey fans have their problems. The worldwide leader broadcasting hockey is great for hockey, regardless of what you thought of their previous hockey coverage. It's that, that's gone now. ESPN has hockey every night. ESPN Plus is going to have hockey every night. ESPN is going to be committed to hockey, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I thought that the Turner did, I thought Turner did a great job, and I thought that ESPN did a great job, and I'm very excited for the product that both or the product that's going to be on the ice that has always been so good and then the product that both espn and turner the way they're going to package that product i think it's going to make it very good for for both the hardcore fan and the casual fan of which i am somewhere in between so maybe i'm just kind of right in the the perfect wheelhouse there but i thought that like i said i thought both of them did a great job and i think that's kind of the consensus online and i hope that continues because it did it did really fire me up for hockey the espn pre-hockey show before the first game for the lightning game um that really really fired me up a few days ago so i was really really happy about how it made me feel as a viewer um and i hope other people uh had similar thoughts and i hope they have similar thoughts all year because like i said i think it's great for hockey we will be back next tuesday uh going tuesday friday from here on out it just kind of happened to work out that way i think i'm gonna stick with it um Maybe go back to Tuesday, Thursday, but I'll stick with Tuesday, Friday, because that's kind of kind of where we're at right now. We're going to have Carson Ohm, the host of Alongside Me, Brett and Carson's basketball show. We're going to talk Wolves, a little NBA Western Conference next, uh, next week on the show. I think 
maybe a sneaky Kevin appearance. Maybe we're bringing back the pretty bridge. I've got some, uh, some segments I want to do with him, a little gray duck after dark with him. Uh, that gray duck after dark went on a little too long. I was hoping to keep those both to three or four minutes. So sorry that that was 10, 15 minutes total, but that is episode five and we will see you next week on the other side of some terrific football action for episode six on Tuesday. Like I said, going to be recapping these football games, Vikings, Panthers, Nebraska, Minnesota, and we'll be talking Wolves with my good friend Carson Ohm. We will see you then. 